Hey everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Engler. Um, my wife Lauren and I have been going here to Delray for about two years, two and a half years. And um, special shout out to my favorite mother-in-law, Elaine. Thanks for, for making the trip up um, tonight. Um, so we're, we're going to be continuing our series on questions that God asks. And so today our, our question that God asks is, do you do well to be angry? So we're, we're looking at Jonah, um, so you can feel free to turn to Jonah 1. I'm going to do a quick summary of Jonah. We're going to jump pretty quickly through most of it, and then we're going to get to that in, in chapter 4, verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? My main point for tonight, for those of you who are main point people, um, is that God goes to drastic measures to rescue angry, rebellious sinners from their idolatry and make us look more like Christ. So God goes to drastic measures to rescue angry, rebellious sinners from their idolatry and to make them look more like Christ. So talking about anger, as it usually works for me and maybe a lot of you who have taught, whenever you teach on a topic, God seems to bring that up very pointedly in your life. So right after I agreed to teach about anger, we had a grill given to us. And I, I was really excited because our grill is about this big and it's a camping grill that you have to screw those tiny propane tanks into. And we got like a real grill and I was, I was ecstatic. Um, so I was grilling away, really excited. But the problem was that same week that we got it, I got the letter from the HOA, the condo department with pictures of me grilling and highlighted parts that said you've agreed to not use propane tanks propane grills because obviously they will explode and kill everybody um and i was i was pretty i was pretty gracious i was pretty spiritual i was nailing it and i was like okay you know this is the law this is the rule i mean that that's disappointing but but it's okay but what came out next was an email again saying oh by the way sorry you also need to take your chimnea off your porch and I had to google what a chimnea was but a chimnea for those of you who don't know is a, is a pot-bellied stove which we don't have um, and so that was where my injustice anger righteous rebellion came out and I, I drafted a, probably the least spiritual email I've ever drafted in my life saying, excuse me, for your information, we do not have a chimnea. We actually have a punching bag base, which I use to punch things when I get angry. And you can tell whoever is telling you, feeding you this false information, they can come and talk to me to my face, and I'll explain how there is no fire used in this punching bag base whatsoever. Um, by God's grace, it was just a draft, and I... I talked to my wife. I said, Lord, can you read this over? She just shook her head and said, Jason, you could just say there's a misunderstanding and it's not a chimney. And that, by God's grace, is what I did. Um, but it, I was so angry over this, this perceived injustice. You know, this was wrong. You know, that how dare you accuse me of this thing that isn't right? And it, it also revealed what I, what I loved where I, I love praise from people. And my anger also revealed what I hated, which was correction. And it brought up my, you know, 
you, I'm a scary man. I punch things. You should be, if you spoke to me to my face, you'd be intimidated by me and my, my awesomeness. Um, so I saw how my own anger led me down a path which was much more filled with my own agenda than God. Because in nowhere in this conversation was I concerned about the salvation of these people, how my words might impact my opportunity to share the gospel with them. It was, it was me. Who are you to correct me? Um, in James 1, 19 and 20, the Holy Spirit, through James, talks about God's perceptions of man's anger and what it brings about. So James 1, 19 and 20 is, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how God addresses Jonah's anger in the pursuit of his own agenda. So if if you look to Jonah 1, um, it says, Jonah 1.1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah where God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God calls Jonah to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, and which is the, the ISIS, the North Korea of the day, the, the threatening, violent an oppressive and godless nation that Israel hates because Assyrians hate Israel and Israel hates them back. So God says, Jonah, your prophet, go to Nineveh and tell them to turn from their sin and turn to me. God says, take the road northeast, go to Nineveh, and Jonah gets on the boat and sails west to Tarshish. Not, not the right way. Jonah's plans are the opposite of God's plans. So God, in his wisdom and justice, hurls a storm of wrath to stop the disobedience and punishment. And the sailors that are on the ship, they start casting lots because they say, okay, who's, who's, who's offended what God that got us here? And Jonah, when the lot, he draws the short stick and he explains that he worships the one true God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and he knows that the storm is just punishment for his disobedience and that if he the offender dies and is thrown into the sea the others might live if he's cast into the storm of God's wrath others might be saved So he's cast in to the sea, and everything stops for his just punishment. And as he's sinking down under the weight of his just punishment for his disobedience, God in his mercy, in verse 17, says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now in the fish, Jonah realizes his, his foolishness. And he calls out to God for salvation. 
And God, in his mercy, speaks to the fish who rescues him, and by God's command, vomits him back out. So, in the salvation that God receives, Jonah describes it as he's being in Sheol, he's in the depths, and then God commands the fish and he's vomited it out into the land of the living. And we're fast forward to Jonah 3, Jonah 3, 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And this time, he makes a move towards obedience. And then, the city hears the word, the Lord, that Jonah preaches against them in verse 3, sorry, in verse 4 and 5. So Jonah began to go into the city, a day's journey, called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So the city hears the coming wrath of God, and they are moved to cry out for God's mercy. So look with me at, in verses 8 to 10 of chapter 3. It says, But let every man be, and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may yet turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God, in his mercy, withholds his righteous wrath on an evil city when they turn from their evil ways and turn back to him. And so what it should have said next is that Jonah, remembering his own rebellion and how God mercifully saved his life through a fish. He rejoiced to think that an evil nation would turn from their sin and share in his same salvation. Right? That's what it, what it should have said. But no, he, he, gets, he gets angry. So Jonah 4.1 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And if you all have a, a footnote, in that where it says it displeased Jonah exceedingly, it says in Hebrew, another way to read that is it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And he prayed out to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Because Jonah has a, a misconception of God. He actually is quoting Exodus 34. Thanks, Johnny, for giving me the heads up on that. That he's actually quoting when God reveals his character, his name to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is what he says. I'm a gracious God, abounding in steadfast love, merciful, relenting from disaster, doesn't delight in the punishment of the wicked, but he will punish the wicked, but he doesn't delight in it. And so in the weirdest twist ever, 
Jonah takes the revealed name and character of God and he uses it as an accusation against him. So you see this, this in his anger, how different, how twisted that is. So Jonah is so desperately self-consumed that during the entire narrative, he's pursuing his own desires and not God's. And that sinful rebellion is revealed in his angry heart. But where, where you and I might have responded if we were God, you know, judgment. I'll, I'll throw you back, and this time I'm not bringing a fish. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you back right where you came from. But God just simply asks, do you do well to be angry? Is your anger righteous? Is your, your anger, is it a reflection of me? And Jonah doesn't, doesn't have a response. He's, he's silent. So let's, let's see what he does next. So in verse 5, so chapter 4, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So what's he, what's he trying to do there? He's, he's still waiting for his will to happen. In, in contrast with the direct revelation of the nature and character and mercy of God, he's still waiting for fire and wrath and destruction. He's still running away from God's call to Nineveh, even though it's, it's right, right in front of his face. So what does God do next? See, he takes some drastic measures to reveal some idolatry in Jonah's heart. So in verse 6, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scourging east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? So you see God's sovereign interaction here. Three times it uses appointed. Appointed a plant for comfort appointed a worm to take away the comfort, appointed a scorching east wind to bring up that discomfort to the level where he says, I'm ready to die, to reveal what's inside of his heart. The same word appointed is the same word that it says he appointed a fish for his salvation. So all the way through, you see God's sovereign acting over all creation to bring up this anger and this idolatry. And this terrified me when I asked Garrett, I said, Garrett, is it, is it right to talk about that, this idea that God might actually sovereignly use creation to bring up discomfort intentionally to reveal our idols? And they said, oh yeah. And I was like, oh. yeah, I thought that might be what you would say. So, um, so yeah, in this place, Jonah, he's so overwhelmed with his own discomfort and his own anger. He asks to die a second time. 
But God brings this pressure to reveal that in his heart and then asks him, do you do well to be angry about the plant? And then his response in verse 9 says, yes, I do well to be angry about the plant, God. Angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor and which you did not make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not so pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people, persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and much cattle? That's where the, that's where the book ends. God says, Jonah, you pity a plant? You won't even blink for a city. God brings the comfort and discomfort Jonah needs to reveal the idols connected to his anger and contrast that with God's holy character. So what was the last time that you got angry? Someone cuts you off. Your spouse did something you didn't like. Your kid's not listening to you. What piece of your heart was wounded when you got angry? Pride? Your own perception of justice? Your love of comfort? Love of adoration? In that moment, what are you loving more than God's glory? What does your anger say about how you think God should be running the universe? Is God being unjust with you? Do you feel that you're entitled to God treating you better? I'm going to caveat this with there is righteous anger. There is righteous anger as revealed in the Bible. God, Jesus gets angry when God's house is being defamed. But his anger is about not what's happening to him, but what's happening to God. What's happening to God's glory. So how are you and me like Jonah? problem is we, we can hate other people and we can really love ourselves. We can put people into categories of worthy to be saved, not worthy to be saved, based on our own criteria. So we're worthy of salvation because of our political understandings. You can't be saved and vote for that person. We're worthy of, of forgiveness because of our skin color or our cultural background, but not, not theirs. We're worthy because of our righteous deeds or because of our theological understanding. That person's theology is, is way too wrong for them ever to receive God's mercy. See, our, our anger reveals what we love, and it usually doesn't look like God's, God's righteous anger. We believe that we deserve salvation, like Jonah. But we're also like Jonah because God's Spirit can do impossible things through us. 
Nineveh didn't repent because Jonah's heart was in the right place. When we're willing to submit to his will, even if our hearts aren't perfect yet, God can still do the work because the work's more about God than it is about us. We're also like Jonah because we're broken and we're desperately in need of God's work in our hearts. And we also have a God who's tremendously patient with us, merciful to us, willing to give us instruction. When Jonah's heart is so twisted, God answers with a question. Do you do well to be angry. But the good news is is that our salvation isn't up to sinners like us or sinful prophets like Jonah, but it's up to one who is much, much better. Because Christ is very unlike Jonah. Jonah sleeps in the bottom of the boat because he's trying to run away from God's plan. But when Jesus is sleeping in the storm in the boat, He's doing it because he has faith in God's sovereign plan. Jonah is filled with rage because his unjust plans are crushed. But Jesus is filled with rage over God's house being desecrated. Jonah sees dangerous sinners and he runs the opposite direction, but Jesus Christ sees dangerous sinners and runs right into the path. Jonah hates the idea of other nations receiving God's mercy, Jesus comes to reveal salvation so that people from every tribe and nation and tongue will receive salvation. Jonah accuses God for being merciful and letting other sinners repent. And Jesus rejoices at God's mercy over even a single sinner becoming righteous. Jonah is cast into the sea of punishment for his own sins. Christ bears the full storm of the wrath of God for the sins of the world when he's sinless. Jonah is confident of his own works of righteousness while full of sin. Christ humbly takes the sinner's punishment even though he's perfectly righteous. And lastly, Jonah was angry enough to die at the discomfort of a hot day. But Christ willingly bears the agony of the cross for salvation for all who turn turn from their sin and turn to him. So God goes to very drastic measures to rescue us angry, rebellious sinners from our idolatry and to make us look more like Christ. So let's, let's pray and let's ask God to give us hearts that look more like him. And, and repent of our sinful anger. So pray with me. The Holy Spirit, bring to our hearts and minds in this moment where our anger displays our idols. bring to our hearts and minds sin as revealed in our anger where we rebelled against you. And Jesus, fill us with a deep knowledge of your mercy in your pursuit of us. And help us to see the truth of the gospel as personified in Christ.
the righteous who died for the unrighteous. God, incline our hearts towards him. Do that impossible work in our hearts that we could rejoice in you. Thank you for your sweet mercy in saving us sinful people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.